You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome to the 602 Club, Trek FM's general geek show. So excited to be here tonight as uh, we record this. We are mere days away from the release of Solo, a Star Wars story. And I'm very excited because we're going to be talking about the lead-in book from Del Rey into that movie called Last Shot. It's a Han Solo and Lando adventure, and it takes place all over the timeline. And so I'm so excited to dive into this one. And I'm really glad to have back uh, from Star Wars Bookworm. So you know you're getting a book expert, Aaron Goins. Hey, Matt. What is up? I don't know about book expert, but you know, I read a book just like anybody else reads a book. So I'm expert's a little high, but we'll see. So are you saying you also put your pants on one leg at a time? One leg at a time, man. One just leg blowing at a time. my mind I, tonight. I flipped through a book <laughs> one page at a time. That might have been a better. I just flipped through it one page at a time, just like everybody else. Oh, man, I, every when I'm watching Flash and he flips through all the pages just to read a book, I'm like, man, how awesome would that be? Like to read that many books that quickly just be awesome and i will admit i am not like as much as i do love to read and i read all the star wars books i am not a fast reader i never have been and um i i actually it's funny because um we mutual friend bria she is a fast reader she can read ridiculously fast like she picks up these books she gets it sent to her and she just reads through it in a day and it takes me you know weeks to get through a book yeah and she always gives me such a hard time because I, t- I tend to get the book a little bit earlier than she does. So I always like I send her a quick text and I'm like, hey, got the book. You don't have it. Ha ha ha. You know, kind of trying to rub it in. And then my goal is always I'm going to finish this book before she gets it so I can say I've read it before she did. And then, of course, I never do. And she gets the book and reads it in like a few hours. So and then she, of course, <laughs> then rubs it in my face that she finished it before I did. So. Yeah. Oh man. Well, I I'm a relatively fast reader. Although when I'm doing when I'm doing uh, a review of something, I do try and slow myself down on purpose just so I can make sure that I'm catching all the intricacies of the plot and I make sure that I'm underlining things and that kind of stuff. Um. So I I try to make sure that I'm not just buzzing through it because you know, I can speed read with the best of them. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'll retain much of the story. So I, I'm not that good. You do written reviews too, right? I do. I do. So, so yeah. yeah, my written reviews go up on uh, StarWarsReport.com, uh, which, by the way, we were supposed to have Bruce Gibson here tonight, and he was not able to make it because of work. And so I just want to give a quick shout-out to him. Uh, make sure you do check out Star Wars Reports, um, where you can find Bruce talking about all sorts of Star Wars things and, and his opinion on Solo. So um, and make sure you check that out. So I uh, just want to give him a quick plug. Yeah, when I used to do the written reviews, um, 
it was definitely a different process going through the book. I would I usually tried to take notes on every chapter and like highlight all the high points and stuff. But now that I stopped doing the written reviews and just review them on the podcast, it's a little less effort. I don't know why. I think because like when you're podcasting, you can rely on like whoever you're podcasting with, like in tonight's conversation. You know, you're yeah. going to fill in the gaps that I don't remember. I might fill in the <laughs> gaps you don't remember. You know, we can kind of bounce off each other. But when you're doing a written review, you're all on your own. So you got to kind of make sure you get all the, the details. Well, before both Aaron and I fill in the gaps, you can find us all over the place uh, here. You can find us online. Make sure you're checking us out. Uh, one of the best places to go over is iTunes uh, at iTunes.com slash TrekFM. And uh, I wanted to say a huge thank you because we got our first written review over there on iTunes in a long time, over or excuse me, you can also call it Apple Podcasts, either one. Um, but yeah, we got a brand new review there for the 602 Club, and they uh, it's I, I don't ever know how to say names on uh, iTunes, it's always difficult. So they said, really enjoy this five stars, uh, and it's something like Kiss to Dan, something like that. But I wanted to say thank you to them, and they said this, uh, finding myself binge listening to previous episodes of the 602 Club and skipping my other podcasts to do so. Great work. I don't know of a higher compliment, honestly, than um, you saying that you're skipping other podcasts to listen to back episodes of the 602 Club. I really appreciate that. Um, and uh, try to make as the episodes as evergreen as possible so you can't listen to them anytime. So uh, go over there, give us a star rating and review while you're over on iTunes. Uh, you can also find us wherever you get your podcasts. So anywhere that you have a, any podcatcher, you can find us there and listen. You'll want to check us out on Twitter, at TrekFM. Uh, we're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. Make sure you're liking and following us in both places. We have the Listeners Only Discussion Group, which is called the Babel Conference, and that's on Facebook. Now, if you're on Facebook, type Babel into the search field, or if you're on the website at Trek.FM, hit Discussion on any of the menu bars. That will bring you over there, and we can let you in the group, and you can talk with all the other fans about everything we're talking about here on the network. And then last but not least... At Trek FM, you can go to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that email comes to me and anybody else who is on that week. So, Last Shot, Aaron, is a very interesting Star Wars book in that it's not just one story at one specific time frame. It is four different stories. Now, two, well... I would say it's actually five different stories because two of those stories have to do with Han and Lando and the different time periods. Uh, and then you have this story about our villain, Gore, uh, and his kind of rise. Um, and so you get uh, Lando, which is his storyline in the past takes place before the new Solo movie. Hans takes place after the new Solo movie. Uh, Gore's takes place sometime in that time period between all of those things, it seems like. And then, of course, we have our post-Return of the Jedi storyline for Han and Lando as well. Now, I, I put those in, in different, uh, like, because they each have their own specific arc that's happening to them, but they're also similar so I wanted to ask you, before anything, what did you end up thinking about how, you know, this structure works for telling this story about Han and Lando and their adventures? Um, so 
the the story that's set after Return of the Jedi, just to be clear, is I think based on some of the references that I heard in the book, it also takes place after the Aftermath novels. Yes, correct? I got that okay. feeling as well, yes. Because I think Han references back to the events of on that happened on Kashyyyk. Yes, he does. So, so okay. at least it's after... Um, you know, uh, life debt. So it, it, that has happened and Chewie is back on Kashyyyk. Yeah. So yes. So did you listen to the audiobook at all or did you just do the novel? I Now, I know people love audiobooks and I know Star Wars audiobooks tend to be fantastic. But for me personally, audiobooks, I tend to not pick up as much if I just read the book. So it's much better for me unless I'm on a very long car ride. Audiobooks just don't do much for me. Okay. So, yeah, so I did a bit of both. Mostly I read the novel, but I did pick up the audiobook as well because I was curious. And you, going back to what you were talking about, the different time periods, um, it was interesting because in the audiobook, they actually got different um, narrators for each time oh, period. wow, okay. So it kind of helped you know who, like whoever the voice was, you kind of remembered what time period you're in whereas mm -hmm. in the novel you kind of had to rely on the chapter title like or not chapter title but the chapter and then it would say you know right 15 years before or whatever so um so that was nice but yeah i thought the format was interesting and i actually enjoyed it for the most part i will admit that i got a little confused a couple times because i was just like wait when is this happening again or like how does this relate to this other thing like but by the end they kind of tie it all together and so it seems like with these Del Rey books recently, I mean, I'm thinking of Phasma specifically, where they kind of did a different way of telling that story. Remember, they were telling mm -hmm. it from someone else's yep. perspective and someone's telling a story from almost like a third hand type account. Um, and that was an interesting way to deliver a, a narrative. And this was a whole nother interesting way to deliver a narrative. So it's like they're trying to get creative with how they're telling these stories. And I thought it worked for the most part for the book. I agree with you, and I, I specifically agree that there were times where you would I would go back in time to either Lando or Han's part of that story in the past, and I would be, I, I felt uh, slightly discombobulated because I was so wrapped up in what was happening kind of in, I'll, I'll call it the main A plot, which is the, the post-Return uh, of the Jedi, post-Aftermath uh, you know, era where I would get back to that and I'd be like, oh, where were they again? And part of that as well was that there, and, and maybe it just sounds like an idiot and just can't remember things, but I'm older, so, you know, give me a break. But because there was also Lando and Han, it just felt like sometimes it was hard to remember where all of the different storylines were. And part of that is there were points where I felt like We'd get to the next chapter in the past with either Han or Lando, and I couldn't necessarily remember how they got to their next stop. Hmm. Like it, and 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 so like how the jump had been made. Okay, we 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 moved from this place in this storyline to this place in the storyline, and I don't know if that was just me or if it was other people. So I'll be really interested to see if other listeners felt like that, or or was that also where you sometimes felt like, okay, where are we? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that did help was certain characters that only showed up in mm -hmm. certain timelines. So that kind of helped ground it. So, for example, um, Taka only showed up in the future timeline. 
Um, they didn't show up anywhere else in the other timelines. Right. Uh, Sana, I believe, only showed up in kind of Han's earlier timeline. Yep, yep. She didn't show up later. And then I think for the, in L3, only showed up in Lando's early storyline. So there were certain characters, as soon as I, you know, was like, okay, L3's here, we're back with Lando again. Or, okay, Taka's yeah. here, we're back in the future again. So that did help to have certain characters that didn't jump around. Yeah, that I think I think you're right, and and for the most part, I I agree with you too. By the end, it everything does come together. Mm-hmm. Like all the different con- storylines do converge in a way that makes sense. And I thought that that was that was something that was well done. And I I agree with you. You know, telling Star Wars stories. You know, obviously we had the Legends line for twenty some odd years, and you know, hundreds of books. And so there were only a few that I can remember that really switched up how you told stories. Like I'm thinking of like I Jedi, um, this, uh, and you know, something like Phasma or even, you know, like from a certain point of view where you're really trying some different storytelling techniques to make it interesting. I, you know, I think it works for the most part. Um, so structurally, the book ends up coming together. Um, the only thing I think might have helped me slightly, I was thinking about this today while I was doing my run, um, I was thinking through the book. And one of the things I thought, you know, I, I kind of wish sometimes that the the chapters were longer because there are some chapters that are like, especially digitally, it's like a page and a half and you just move on to the next one. And And sometimes that would be all you would get from the past timeline so I just wish it had been expanded just a little bit to give that a little bit more context. So I felt a little bit more rooted in that part of the storyline as much as I was feeling in the quote-unquote present storyline. And sometimes chapters would end, and then the very next chapter would be the exact, still in the same time period. Yeah. <laughs> and you're almost like, wait, why did they make a break there? Why didn't they just continue the chapter? But I will never complain about short chapters. I actually love books that have very short chapters because it feels like it's tricking my brain into these completion points where I'm like, okay, like, oh, it was only four pages. I'm done with chapter one. Like, let me jump into chapter two. Whereas if it was like 20, 30 page chapters, I'm like, by the time I get to the end of that first chapter, I'm like, oh my gosh, it took me forever just to get past chapter one. Like, and I start to burn out. So I love short chapter books. No, I and I I think it I I honestly felt like for the most part it helped in this book too because it helped the action keep going. Yeah, so, it feels like a like a yeah. continuing motion. I think mm-hmm. it, yep. it, when I read these, I think like if we're thinking of like legends books to compare it to, I'm thinking if I'm remembering correctly, I feel like Paul Kemp was a writer that used very short chapters, and I remember kind of feeling mm-hmm. this pace yeah. of his books always felt like. You're on the move. You're on the move. Although I guess he did do a canon novel yeah. as well with, uh, uh, with Lords, Lords of the Sith. Sith. Yeah, I was just thinking that that book felt very snappy. Like yeah. the action never stopped, and and this does feel reminiscent of that as well. Yeah. So, so the, the book it really kind of revolves around our our two main characters of Han and Lando, and and their connection to our villain, but also just really watching those characters and how they've evolved from the past all the way even before we you know i know aaron you've seen solo uh you got to see an early screening of it but you know most of us haven't seen that yet so this is kind of before we even knew them 
um, and a, a New Hope, and then Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, all the way through where we haven't really seen much of them, honestly. Like, we haven't seen a ton of, of Han or Lando um, in the post-Return of the Jedi novels. And so this is really the biggest place that we get to see them. And I wanted to ask you just about specifically Han because I I have to say the, the strongest part for me of the story is these characters. But I really resonated with Han, the young, carefree guy just out for adventure, to being the guy who's been a general, trying to figure out how to settle down, be a husband and a father, and feeling like a complete failure at it all. Like, uh, And I just, I, I, I felt like Alder really found a way to dig into the character of Han and give him some real depth, but at the same time keep that um, Han-like levity to it all. Uh, it just, it was, uh, to me, it was a really good job of creating the ca- character of Han in this book. I, I definitely agree. I thought that the writer did a great job of portraying Han. And Han's a hard character to nail down because mm-hmm. I think he, I think it was really hit and miss in the old legend stuff with Han. There were some books that really glorified him as a character and tried to turn him into something that he wasn't um, in this really intellectual almost level character. I remember reading... Um, you know, love it or hate it with with Timothy Zahn books, but Scoundrels was a book that I felt like didn't get Han right um, back in the Legends era because Han was almost like this mastermind, this criminal mastermind, or maybe not criminal is the right word, but, you know, he's he's kind of this mastermind character in that book where you're like, when when have we ever seen him that intelligent, you know? But I think with, and even I think Lawrence can't, Kasdan's been quoted as saying Han isn't that smart. You know, he's just not he's he's not meant to be written as an intellectual character. Um and so I thought this book really did nail that. I thought they 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 portrayed a Han in this book that you know is obviously competent and skilled um and has his own level of intelligence, but he's not the smartest man in the room. You know, he's he is kind of he acts off of emotion. He gets um he gets in over his head with a family. He doesn't know how to deal with having a child and being kind of, you know, pinned down with that. And I really, I, I thought that that Daniel Jose Older did a really good job of, of portraying that that version of Han, which I think is very true to what we see, in, especially in like the original trilogy. You know, something that connected with me as well that I thought was really neat um, was the way in which you know Han, spe- just specifically thinking of Han. Who has Han ever had as a role model to teach him how to be anything, you know? And so he has kind of, I think, I got the feeling from this book that Han has always kind of felt a little bit like a fraud who's just pretending to be better at things than he actually is because that's what's kind of kept him alive. And now he's come up against something, uh, being a husband, and a father, where you can't pretend on that one. You know, like, it, it, it's not about pretending. It's it's about really putting your heart and soul into something and, and doing your best to make it work. Uh, and I thought that was re- a really nice look inside the soul of Han Solo because 
to me, it brought the character to life in a funny and kind of irreverent Han type way. But you also felt the way in which the character inside has so much turmoil. And he doesn't, he didn't even know how to express it. Like when he's talking to Leia and they're having those conversations, like she understands what he's trying to say, even when he's not really saying much because he doesn't know how to explain his feelings, you know? And I just, again, I felt like this is so key to who Han Solo is. He's all bravado on the outside, but he's really a bleeding heart on the inside. He just doesn't know how to put all that together. <laughs> yeah. He it's funny to see because you see him in when he fir- when they first show him with Sana, um, and we know her from the comics that she's shown up in the mm-hmm. in the Star Wars comics. Uh, but this is the first time we're actually seeing her in a novel, which I love the crossover. I love it when the comics Yeah, it was the, great in the novels, you know, kind of do that type of a crossover. Um, but in the first scenes with her, it's kind of like he's he's like brooding over a girl. You know, he's got this, he's down, he's sad. You know, he's. it seems like he's had his heart broken. And it's interesting to see Han act that way because we're kind of, you always get these images of Han Solo where like, you know, where Lando... You know, we see him as like this ladies' man, and and you kind of get that from Han, but it's almost like Lando is legitimately a ladies' man, and Han thinks he's a ladies' man. You know, he he puts on yeah. that he's a ladies' yeah. man, but inside he just wants to find the right girl and settle down. You know, and I think you you get to see that that side of Han where he is, even when he's apart from Leia, he misses Leia. You know, he's not out there gallivanting around the galaxy, flirting with other women. You know, he's he's missing the one woman that's in his life. Um, and I like that. I like to see that version of Han, you know, that kind of that family man. And we, you, you start to see seeds of why, what happened with him and Leia, you know, by the time we get to force awakens and for whatever reason, they're separated. You're starting to see the seeds of that, even in this story, like what led to that? Because um, as much as he really, wanted to be good at it he wasn't he didn't he just couldn't wrap his head around how being good at uh being part of a family you know that's something i i was personally struggling with a little bit with the han storyline because i understood intellectually where they wanted it to go but by the end of this story it it felt as though han had come to a place where he was okay with not being perfect at being a father or being perfect at being a husband but he was excited about the role that he is playing now like and and the conversation I felt like that he had with Leia where she talked about him you know uh needing to sometimes go off Mm -hmm. and get an opportunity to think things through and figure things out she understands he needs that but she knows he'll always come back you know and there are going to be times when she's going to need to do that too. Like, which I think, you know, we're both married men. There are times you need time away from your space, your spouse, right? You just, you need to have a moment to yourself, whether you go hang out with friends or whether you just, you know, you go take a walk or whatever it is. There are those times when it's important to be away from each other, but then to come back. And I think to me, I struggled a little bit with that because I, I didn't, I have a hard time with the the, the storyline for them. Um, 
And and part of it was actually reading this book and seeing just how good they are together. And I guess feeling like, wow, it, it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, 20 years down the road, they're still kind of struggling with some of the same things big time. And instead of really feeling like that they grow, because this book left me with the feeling like that both Han and Leia have grown a little bit in this book. Yeah. And it just seems kind of sad to think that, you know, uh, they can never really make it past certain things. Yeah, and I think there's so much that happens between this book and the events of The Force Awakens that we mm-hmm. just aren't even aware of. And, you know, things that can break break relationships, break marriages... Um, I think one of the big things that probably did happen is the fall of, of Ben Solo. And I think that is a strain. That was probably a big strain on their marriage. So even though they may have had it figured out, because what, this is only like three years after Return of the Jedi, maybe? Yeah, like three or four years. Yeah. Or so, like you know, they've only been married for at the most a couple years, right? Yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't know the exact time they get married, do we? No, um, Han just mentions that, you know, um, that, you know, there was Endor and everything just snowballed from there. And so, yeah, so I'm thinking, you know, at this point, they're still early on in their relationship, you know, yeah. and they have a very young kid and things change. You know, I, I'm in a marriage. I've been in a marriage now for 17 years and the way that we were through three years into our marriage is a lot different than we were 15 years into our marriage. And so a lot can change to, to Han and Leia in, the, in that time period. And I do think that, you know, kind of the fall of Ben probably is really what pushed them apart, um, where the place that we see them in The Force Awakens. When we think, I was thinking canon-wise, so, you know, the the time that we see them before where they still seem to be okay is Bloodline. Mm. And that's what I think is supposedly about six years or so before The Force Awakens. Yeah, that's that's right. That's pretty far into the storyline. Yeah, it's just right as when... Ben is about to fall. So it really, I, I guess it seems like then, if we're kind of putting it through, I'm, I'm putting it through my mind, everything seems to be pretty good for them until that happens. And I think you're probably right. So, uh, and, and you're, you're absolutely right in that, you know, I, you know, I know statistically the loss of a child traumatically, um, and, and I'm sure <laughs> your son falling to the dark side qualifies as that is is something that can ruin marriages you know that that's one of the biggest uh things that has marriages fail which is losing a child so yeah no i i really i i thought the way that he captured uh han and leia together was great say nothing of some there are sometimes when the dialogue works and the certain times where it doesn't work for the characters but the feel i got from both of the characters it did feel like them. Um, so I thought that was the, that's the biggest part where, you know, you want to read a tie-in novel and feel like you know who it is you're reading and that they feel like, you know, extensions of what you've seen on screen. Yeah, Daniel Jose Older definitely has a unique writing style. Mm-hmm. And I do think he captured the characters, uh, but he captured them in a way that's very much in his voice. Um, where other writers may have written them differently and still captured the characters. Um, it, I'm assuming that you read his story that was in uh, from a so- certain point yes, of view. Yes, yeah. You know, the stormtrooper that had the obsession with the do backs and kind of the, you know, kind of that weird 
story that's told from the stormtroopers perspective and very humorous, very comedic. And I remember reading that and thinking, oh, this is really funny. I was laughing out loud at the story. And then I saw that he was going to be the one writing last shot. And I'm like, okay, like I can take that for in a short story, but I don't know if I want a whole novel with that tone. Um, But quickly, like reading this book and getting into the beginning of it. And I think I even tweeted something out after starting to read the beginning of this book, I was like, wow, I really actually do enjoy this kind of more lighthearted, fun adventure type story. Um, And I had predicted that it would be like one of my top, you know, five favorite canon novels. Um, But I will admit that the further I got into the book, you know, the more I was getting a little tired of it, of the lightheartedness and almost wishing it would get a little bit more grounded. Uh, But Overall, I think it was it worked fine, but I wouldn't want every novel to be like this or every Star Wars novel to be like this. Maybe once, you know, once in a blue moon kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know. I think it's a good time real quick to talk about the style. And I'll say for me, th- the thing that sometimes pulled me out is that the dialogue and the style of writing felt too modern for Star Wars. Um, and that part also kind of went with the humor uh, in some points, as well as apparently everybody just says ass all the time. It's ass this and ass that, and I was like, this, this is not a this is not a word we use in Star Wars like this. It's just it's not something we've done before. And it and it wasn't that the word ass was being used. It's just the way in which we're using it feels modern and. In the end, Star Wars is based off of specific type of, of um, dialogue and vernacular, and, and that's from, you know, 1930s serials. And so kind of pulling out that kind of fast-talking um, dialogue, snappy comebacks and everything, I'm thinking specifically of, like, I don't know if you've ever seen It Happened One Night with uh, Clark Gable. But the way that characters talk back and forth with each other, it's fast and, and it's just very snappy and funny. Um, that's kind of what you want. Uh, and, and, um, and, and this felt more like a, you know, 2000s sitcom sometimes and, instead of that. And to me, that style doesn't quite fit with Star Wars now. The, the 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 adventure type story that we get here, I thought was perfect for Han and Lando. I think that is where it fit well. So, over, I, I would say, kind of style wise, it's a mixed bag for me. Like it, some of it really works and some of it doesn't there, but it it doesn't destroy the story or how I enjoyed the the book or the the actual plot lines that went through. Yeah, and I definitely see what you're saying about the modern style. There were some some things that he included that you definitely have never seen in a Star Wars book. And, you know, he's he's describing kind of Lando uh, picking out his clothes at one point and is describing kind of like, you know, parts of his anatomy, uh, the way that they're laying against, like the way the clothes are laying against his body and stuff. And you're like, okay, this is a bit irreverent, not typically what you would see in a Star Wars book. But it seemed like people enjoyed it. You know, as soon as I read that part, 
and was like, wow, they just talked about that. Okay. And then I saw instantly the other people reading it were posting on Twitter. Oh, that's so funny. That's hilarious that they did that. So it's kind of like, what do you want out of Star Wars? And some people would prefer it to stay a little bit more a uh, similar tone across the novels. And other people like the fact that one thing, you know, one novel swings heavy this way, one novel swings heavy a different way, you know, so you have something for everyone kind of thing. Um, I tend to lean a little bit more toward things being more consistent, but I don't mind mm-hmm. when they aren't. I don't mind. It doesn't ruin it for me. If if a story like this comes up and, the, and there's a lot more casual, you know, speaking or it, it's got a bit of a different tone to it and it's got a more modern feel to it, I'm fine with that because I know the next novel is not going to be like that. You know, that's I don't mind that right. they kind of jump around and have different styles, different tones. Well, and I think... Uh- what did help is that this is a Han and Lando story. So when it came to the style, like of any of the characters that we're going to write about from the original trilogy, these are the ones where you can make that work. And there was a sense where, with where both of these characters are, where they were in the past and where they're going in the future, it fit. Because in a lot of ways, this is kind of like a situational comedy where both of their lives are, you know, love lives. And I think it's a great time to get into the galactic man of capes, Lando himself. And uh, I I have to say, giving him and Han similar things to, to, to grow through here, which is how do we go from being men who have gallivanted around the galaxy and kind of played it up in every way possible to being men who are now thoroughly attracted to a lifestyle to which we never necessarily thought we would be. And for Lando specifically, like you said, the playboy of, you know, star Wars is now finding himself in love with a Twi'lek and not quite sure how to handle that. And I, I thought, you know, Lando gets made fun of as being the ladies' man, you know, I mean, all of the the characters of him. But I felt like this book really broke through the character and made him a real character again, where he's somebody who, no, he doesn't just want to be that. And I, I really enjoyed that about Lando. It was surprising for me to, to see that side of Lando. Um, the... He definitely is smitten with this this woman that he's with, and he really he really wants to to be in a serious relationship with her. And she almost doesn't believe that Lando has changed. You know, she's kind of like, "Well, which version of Lando am I going to get?" And so she's hesitant. Uh, it was definitely different. I don't know. I don't know why it worked so well for me with Han and not as much with Lando. Like I really believed this kind of like hopeless romantic Han Solo. But I didn't believe it as much for Lando. I think I felt like Lando, um, it was almost like I didn't want to see both of those characters kind of doing the same thing and maybe seeing Han kind of be that way, but Lando still being the way that you're used to seeing him be. It felt maybe a little too too similar. I don't know why. It just didn't work as well for me with Lando. I can actually see what you're saying because I, I feel like... The, the the problem with Lando, especially obviously with the new canon, is we just don't have a lot of him, you know. So uh, what we know of Lando is so slight, 
And and now to kind of go into a storyline where we're really going to try and evolve the character is kind of interesting. And it is I mean, I I I like that they're on parallel paths, you know, him and Han. You know, that they've both gotten to this point in their lives and, and they're both trying to make a big change to be more grown up, more responsible men, more honorable men in their lives. And I thought that that was really interesting. But I do kind of agree with you in some ways that it's not quite as strong as it could have been. And I, I think part of that maybe is that it almost feels like the characterization and, and the uh, pre-story for Lando, you know, 15 years in the past, I almost feel like that needed to be expounded just a little bit so that we had more context for who Lando has been as a character so we can see more of the contrast when we get to the future. Yeah, um, so maybe we'll get that, that in the helped. movie. <laughs> yeah, it could yeah. be. It actually, yeah, and that could be the thing is that maybe we're, we're meant to be left, you know. This is, um, yeah, this is almost like a companion piece a bit to the movie. Yeah. And almost not having the movie, it leaves a little bit of a hole uh, in some mm-hmm. of the character growth, probably. Yeah. No, that's a great point. That's a great point. And coming from a guy who's seen the movie, that's that's helpful. So, <laughs> What did you think of his relationship with uh, Keisha? Because I, I, I liked her a lot in the book, and I loved the fact that she wasn't just ready to accept that, you know, he's he's really changed. Like she wants to see the fact that he's actually different. The, so Kasha, Kasha, maybe is a K A A S H A. I think I was saying Kasha in my head. Um, um, I honestly, you know, star Wars names, uh, yeah, but you, could, yeah, Han, you can you say know. it a thousand different ways. <laughs> so, um, I think that it was a little too on the nose that she was Twi'lek just because it seems like that's kind of the, Oh, we need a sensual character that you know this this guy falls in love with. Let's make it a Twi'lek. Yeah, you know, that it seemed a little on the mm-hmm. nose, but so you wanted maybe maybe a Dathomite or something, or yeah, maybe like a Aqualish or you know yeah. I yeah, mean you know, yeah. Just, I could, let's go yeah. yeah. Let's go <laughs> completely unexpected. But no, yeah. I think it still worked. It wasn't. It was just kind of like okay, Twi'lek is the the attractive you know alien, but. Um, it was a believable relationship. They they fleshed out that character. She was this cool, almost action hero type uh, of character that you would see why Lando was drawn to her. You know, I I thought that she was a very interesting character. She obviously, you know, had feelings for him. Um, so yeah, I thought she was she was very entertaining and a, a nice addition to the story. You know, um, what I thought was interesting about her was kind of the way that she seemed to uh, feel like a a spiritual successor to Hera. You know, she had a lot of that Hera-ness to her where she is kind of an action-adventure hero kind of person, right? But somebody who who really cares about stuff, you know? Like a a New Dawn Hera, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yep. Which I thought when I read A New Dawn, and I and obviously when we read A New Dawn, Rebels hadn't even come out yet, so we did, we had no other reference point for Hera. 
And I really thought based on a new dawn that Hera was going to be this kind of like, you know, undercover, you know, not necessarily. I don't know. I was going to say assassin, but she's definitely not an assassin, but just this, this kind of undercover agent type character that is this action star. That's the way she was portrayed in a new dawn. And Kanan was very drawn to that. Um, but I think once we got to rebels enough time had elapsed where she almost became this motherly type character and she's the responsible one. She's the, yeah. the, the pilot and the almost in a way, almost the leader, even though Kanan was also kind of the leader, they kind of almost flipped back and forth on that. So I didn't relate Hera necessarily or this character, Keisha or uh, Kasha to Hera as we see her in rebels more to Hera as we saw her in a new dawn. I, I did yeah, see some like similarities that. there. Yeah. No, I, I think you're that's a great pull uh, because she is very similar to that Hera. And, and honestly, I remember reading New Dawn when it came out and, and kind of falling in love with the character of Hera. Then I thought she was really great, really fun, interesting character. And then, of course, throughout the series, you know, just even more so um, with her growth there. So I thought that was excellent. Um, you know, what what's also fascinating is that we have Lando and his uh, past and the big connection with a character who's going to be huge in Solo, which is L3. And I really thought it was interesting because L3 really brings us into a lot of things we're going to get with the villain and droids. Uh, but also she's the first person, well, droid, uh, to recognize that, you know, Lando Calrissian is not just what he appears to be on the outside. That he's so, it's it's much more about what he's not able to say, but just the fact of what he does. And the, in the end, what he does is usually um, care about things you wouldn't expect Lando to care about with what he talks about. Um, so I thought that, I thought that was really fascinating. And especially too, just the fact that they have that, the relationship that they do in the first place. Um, and she's basically able to kind of drag Lando all over the place. And he just kind of follows her. Um, and and helps her out on her mission when he doesn't even understand what half half the time what she wants. You know, I thought that that was a really that was one of the things that that did kind of helped ground this character, just planting those seeds where you're going to see him be somebody a little bit different in the future. Yeah, this is some great foreshadowing to Solo, getting to see their relationship in this book before watching the movie is very helpful. So anyone that's read this book. Um, I think you're going to be glad you read it before you watch Solo because you get to see Lando and L3 and how important their relationship is. And you get to see some of L3's personality. And you do get this sense, like you were saying, this really great companionship and camaraderie between these two characters, Lando and L3. They've built this friendship that is to the point of, you know, Lando is not seeing her as some sort of you know, droid that's there just to help him, you know, like we see other, you know, even C-3PO kind of comes across that way. Even R2-D2 comes across that way. Although they have very big personalities, they still seem very subservient to the masters, you know, the people they call master. But in this, this is a friendship. This is a partnership and not necessarily a master droid relationship. And you really get to see that in this book. And that carries into Solo as well. I th I thought it was some really cool insight, and I was glad we got to see a lot from that mm -hmm. character before having to go see the movie. Yes, well, and and I I what I thought was kind of interesting too is them kind of giving you uh, the 
the swan song of the character, even though we haven't even seen her in the movie. Like, you know, that the fact that we get the feeling like she's not around anymore by the end of the story, which happens, you know, post aftermath series. Uh, but right, something yeah. has happened to her along the way. But the the way that that relationship, I absolutely agree with you. It makes me very excited to watch Solo and see how that plays out. And it made her a very interesting character, much in the way I felt like that um, so many people fell in love with K2. I, I feel like L3 is another droid where they've created a very interesting, very different type of droid so that you can gravitate towards them for different reasons than you do other droid characters. And and, and I, I them doing that, I think it, it just shows how much... I honestly think it's got to take a lot of work to create droid personalities that don't just feel reminiscent to what we've had before. Right. Uh, and this was really nice because this is very different, and I really enjoyed it. Right. And remember, like, we... Even just seeing Empire Strikes Back, you already know she's not around. So it's not even a matter of seeing or reading this book to see post Return of the Jedi. Like, yeah, oh absolutely. yeah, she's where is she at? You know, we we've seen Lando in Return of the Jedi or in Empire and in Return of the Jedi where he's not with a droid. So it's it's kind of like, okay, where is she at at this point? Well, so he's it, with Lobot. So yeah. I mean, he's droid-ish. Right, yeah, cyborg. <laughs> but yeah, so there is that kind of gap of like, oh, we're you know they were friends at this point in this book. They're friends in the movie. Obviously, we've seen from the trailer, you know what what happens in the story where she's mm-hmm. not around later on. Yeah, I, and and I don't know. Maybe that's something that they answer in Solo. Um, maybe which it is. I, yeah, I'd be I'd be interested to see. So, uh, I'm not even going to ask you. So, um, so we we do uh, talking about droids. This is this is where everything starts to kind of coalesce as a story. the The main villain here is uh, Gore, and he is a Powan uh, from Utapau, if you don't remember from Episode Three, who was a doctor. He finds himself and his best friend kidnapped uh, from medical school. And along the journey of being kidnapped, turns into a raving, crazy lunatic. Yes, uh, who he does. basically uh, wants to become the Borg King, I guess, because he decides that, you know, uh, droids are really superior to humans because they last forever. Humans are pathetic and weak, uh, or, you know, organic beings are pathetic and weak um and this all happens in the span of like it seems like 48 hours in his life he's crazy pants he he was the weakest part of the story for me honestly he i thought at the beginning when they first introduced him and you're seeing what's happening with i guess he's in like medical school and he's got his buddy that's with him and his buddy ends up getting shot and all that, all those events start to happen, and I actually found him very interesting. A Powan looks—they have a look that would look good as a villain. So I can even imagine this, like in a movie, where you have him as this villain with a name like Fizen Gore. Like that's kind of a tip-off in in and of itself uh, that he's not going to necessarily be a good guy. <laughs> so I thought at the beginning I found him interesting, but as they start transitioning him. And his logic of this whole, you know, putting human parts onto droids. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, 
you can kind of see the logic where he's saying he's trying to improve on the weak humans, but it's almost like, why are we putting human parts on droids? Wouldn't you just make droids more or more make humans droids? I don't know. It, it's just, it seemed a little backwards to me. Like why put a rotting arm onto a droid, which is like the first thing that he did. I didn't get the logic behind it. And he did, he turned into the, like you said, he turned into this raving lunatic by the end of it where I liked him better as an intellectual bad guy, kind of like along the lines of a Thrawn style. And I was excited for that potential at the beginning. And then when he just turned into this crazy man, I was like, oh, less interesting to me because um, I can't relate with yeah. the crazy. No, absolutely. And and it was interesting because, you know, his plan is to turn the droids all over the galaxy into people killers to just flip the switch um, to create, you know, mass murder across the galaxy so that really it's it's droids that now rule the galaxy instead of organic beings. And it did, again, like you said, though, too, the whole idea of, like, putting organic flesh with a droid, uh, it seemed very strange to me, like... Again, it felt a lot like the Borg from Star Trek in some ways, but not quite as developed as that, you know. But it and, was kind of reversed, right? Because with the Borg, you're yeah. you're taking a human and you're you're trying to turn Inserting them into technology. a robot, right? right? It's like this was the other way around, which I could have totally bought into a Borg style idea, right? Or wipe out the humans altogether and just have droids rule. Mm-hmm. And have Fizen, you know, maybe he upgrades himself with droid parts so he can be the leader of the droids, like a General Grievous type. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I could have totally bought into that, but the idea, like he's harvesting parts and like going and slaughtering his uh, Wookiee children and using their parts to put onto droids, I didn't see the advantage of what are you, what are the, what are you, how are you making a droid better by putting you right. know, organic right. parts on them? It just seemed backwards. Right. Yeah. No. It, it, I, I... That is the part that does kind of fall apart because it doesn't really make sense logically. But as we already discussed, he's a raving total lunatic. Yeah, at what so, point did that f- that flip switch? Because <laughs> he seemed so smart at the beginning. He was very yeah, intelligent. Um, I, I don't know how you go from medical student to raving total lunatic in like the span of a day, but apparently it can happen. So I guess it um, takes I, trauma. I wanted- I wanted to ask you though, just kind of what do you think of now about this this idea of of the you know this whole thing with droids and all now being in Star Wars canon? Did it seem to fit well for you? This kind of thing happening in uh, in Star Wars? Um, yeah, it fits because we we've seen kind of this droid uprising style storytelling in Legends. You know, they they had an entire droids comic series that was kind of this droid uprising and it even it makes sense to have a storyline that's kind of that idea i don't necessarily like the the device or what led to it um as far as having and gore and the whole the whole like you know fusing human parts with droids i didn't like that side of it but i do like yeah. the idea of a droid uprising storyline um so i think it definitely fits and it felt very much like a star wars story you know the whole time i'm reading it you know, everything about it felt very Star Wars traveling, mm-hmm. you know, to different planets and the droids and this device they're trying to recover that can transmit kind of this command. You know, that's all stuff that fits very well in Star Star Wars lore. 
it, it um you know so having just read the Brian Daly books I I felt like this fit this was very much kind of a spiritual successor to those in some ways um it felt like those where you know it's all very grounded you know this is very much a threat that Han and Lando should be the ones to take care of you know so it didn't feel like anything that's out of that wheelhouse so really liked that um. I honestly, I and I agree. I think it 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 fits well with Star Wars. It makes it interesting. We've seen lots of crazy things with you know people and droids and all that kind of stuff. When we think about Vader or Grievous and and all of that kind of stuff, um, and the most interesting thing to me was in what we learn about droids, especially from L three, about how you know they talk about the Maker. And how, you know, in, in a lot of ways they are human-like and that they can learn from their programming. And it almost seemed to me like they were going to push it into can droids be sentient? But then it almost felt like, too, by the end they pull it back to say, yes, we can grow, but there's only so much we can grow. We can't, you know, we can't do anything completely against our our programming in the end. So I just thought it was interesting them exploring that idea because it's something like John Mills and I have talked about on gross negotiations, the idea of droids and where they kind of fit on that spectrum. And and so I thought this book kind of at least discussing that was, was really uh, an interesting discussion. Yeah. I like, I like how star Wars has treated droids, you know, slash robots in the star Wars universe. I like that they there is this kind of weird balance between are they just machines that are created to help you or are they actual sentient beings? And you kind of get the sense of both in Star Wars. You get to see droids like K2SO and C-3PO and R2-D2 that feel very sentient with very strong personalities. Even L3 would fall in that category. But then you see other droids that don't. You know, they just do seem like these machines, these battery droids that walk like around. Like droids, yeah. Gonk, yeah. And droids getting, you know, ripped apart where you're like, oh, gosh, if I thought of that as a sentient thing, then I should feel really bad that that, that mm-hmm. R2 unit just got its head ripped off. Uh, so, yeah, they do play with this kind of this fine line between, you know, are they sentient or are they not? And I think that this book kind of st- stayed within those rules, those those rules of Star Wars. They didn't go so far as to say that they are, you know, completely sentient, but they didn't go the other direction either. Uh, but I think L3 is an interesting droid because I do think mm-hmm. that she she does start you do start to get a feeling from her specifically and you know not I won't spoil anything from the movie but I that does carry over into the movie as well with her personality that you start to see her as you know the way that the way that she's treated by Lando especially that she is a bit more than than a droid to him well, and I think you know I, that's something that goes all the way back to the way Anakin deals with R2D2 true you know, he treats him like a person. And he goes you know, out of his way to rescue him, even to put himself absolutely. in danger, to put others in yep. danger to rescue this, this essentially machine. So, yeah, there it's definitely there's a precedence for it in Star yeah. Wars. Well, and, and it also kind of to me, in a lot of ways, it, it, it makes sense because it, I feel like droids are kind of like the um, mechanical pets of the Star Wars galaxy, you know, and people put a lot more into their pets and who they are to them, I, that makes sense to me. Like, you become emotionally attached to something because it matters to you. And and therefore, um, 
it it tends I feel like you know like when you think of a character like R2D2 I feel like it really rubs off on him you know um that's what makes R2D2 such a special droid as it's it's almost like the way he was treated helped create who he is and I wonder if that's something we'll see a little bit with with L3 or if she was just like that or I don't know but it just it, it's it's a really cool way to deal with it without going the like data from star trek route mm-hmm. and sometimes it does seem too much or it does seem like uh it has to do with their programming as well you know how much freedom you allow the droid to have in their programming where mm-hmm. you know if you have a droid that has some sort of a control unit that's tampering down their their programming to have emotion then they're not going to act a certain way but other right. you know droids like r2d2 have kind of you know his he's he's never had the the wipe you know the you know mm-hmm. the mind wipe type thing that happened to c3po so it gives him a little bit more of that independent personality so it, it is a lot about their programming and what has been allowed what they've been allowed yeah. to to show in personality so so just some random tidbit things that i wanted to ask you about before we wrap up um one so apparently Gungans can speak normally. Yes, nice twist. I thought that was funny. I I actually they they come across this Gungan character. It's a kind of a prison guard or something. I guess he wasn't really a guard, but he was kind of working at the prison. Yeah, he's like the the guy that sits at the front desk. He's at the desk, kind yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. Directing you to the right you know location, but I did like the fact that they were kind of you know he's just like oh what you expect me to talk a certain way. You know, I, it was a nice little twist. Um, I thought I actually found that more that didn't hit me as hard as the Ewok as far as trying to wrap my head around the, the Ewok, uh, the slicer. slicer. Yeah. Yeah. Peekpa. Uh, when I first, when I first got to that part and they were talking about an Ewok, that's like this computer genius. I was like, what? You know, I did have a, a moment of hesitation before I bought in to it. Cause I did eventually buy into it and enjoyed it. But there was a moment of like, wait, I don't know if this should be a thing or if, do I want Star Wars to start? There, I've always been of the opinion, I've had people scold me on this, so I'm sure people that are listening to this will probably be scolding me. But I do feel like there are certain races in Star Wars, certain species that don't fit well in certain roles. Like I would never want to see an Ewok Jedi. I would never want to see... A, you know, there's certain things that I just don't think work, like even a pilot, like sir, I think, you know, there was the popular Gamorrean pirate in, pi, pilot in uh, the old mm-hmm. legend yeah. stuff, mm-hmm. which is super no. popular with a lot of people. I just yeah. can never buy into it. So, yeah, and I think this kind of falls in that territory where like Ewoks as computer geniuses, not that much time has passed since indoor. So what schools did she go to to learn this stuff? I it, it was a little bit whatever, but at the same time, I was like, okay, let me just have fun with it. It didn't, you know, it, it, it was fun, and I actually did end up enjoying the character. Yeah, you know, I will say on the Gungan thing, um, you know, the whole Gungan thing that the character even says, how many Gungans have you met, you know? Uh, and so, oh, let me round that to one. Um, but the thing is, is that we've met a ton of Gungans, Especially in the Clone yeah. Wars, and none of them have normal speaking voices. They all talk like Jar Jar, right? Um, so it, unless this Gungan was raised and away from Naboo, which it doesn't seem like he was, then then he would probably talk like that. But I can let it go because it creates a funny thing. It's a funny and I get joke. With, yeah. yeah, it's a funny joke. And you can you can do it. You can do the whole explain it away. Maybe he. 
Maybe he went left Naboo and at maybe, some point when he was younger. Yeah. And maybe he went to school with uh, yeah. the Naboo. You know, who knows? He, he so. lost his accent. There you go. <laughs> uh, the, the, with Pikba, um, it was... I, I'm, I am 100% with you. Uh, I, I kind of did the thing in my head. I, you know, maybe she just found out she really liked technology once the, you know, the um, Empire... Death Star exploded above her planet, and she hopped on with some rebels, and apparently had a knack for technology. You know, okay, whatever. Um, I I think that this is the part of the story where they were just having a good time with it, mm-hmm. and and that works in a Lando Han book to me. Like I really, um, I I'm not gonna get upset about them doing something funny or and it does. It works in a Daniel Jose older book, apparently, yes. too. Like, mm-hmm. I think this is what we're learning about this author now that he's written the From the Certain Point of View story that was very comedic and kind of tested the limits of what, you know, comedy in Star Wars is. And I think this book continued that. So if we get another book by him somewhere down the road, we're going to expect, you know, there's going to be more unexpected characters and, you know, pushing the limits of humor. And it's his style. And I think that once you figure that out and that's what you expect, then you can kind of get on board with it and roll with it. Um, so the next Daniel Jose older book that they announce, I'm going to be like, all right, if I'm in the mood for a fun, irreverent star Wars adventure, then I'm going to pick up a Daniel Jose older book. Mm -hmm. And there were only a couple of places where I felt like that the humor maybe pushed the boundaries too much. Like we're trying to be too funny here. You don't have to, you know, um, I would say that there are a couple of times where I, I, it, to, for me personally, it almost went to that Thor Ragnarok level where everything is a joke. Um, but I felt like then when I, you know, in the end, overall, he was able to, to find a, a pretty decent balance because there were some very poignant moments, especially with Han and especially with Lando and, and with their relationships that they have that I thought were well done. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, you know, in the end, uh, for you, Aaron, kind of just wrapping up, I mean, there's so much more um, that we could talk about, but uh, where where would you land on Last Shot? What would you rate it, do you think? Um, rating it, hmm. I have a hard time rating books. Books are very much, it's kind of like, did I like it, did I not like it, or did I love it? And this is one where I say I liked it. Uh, it started out, I loved it at the beginning, everything, you know, I thought there was a lot of potential with the villain. I loved the kind of more fun tone to the book and I really went in really enjoying it off, off the bat. And I think it kind of, as the story went on and, you know, Fies and Gore became a little less interesting to me and it kind of, it felt like it plotted along a little bit toward the end. I, I definitely got more into the, okay, I like it territory, but kind of lost the, I love it. Uh, so I don't know what that would fall on a rating. What yeah. three and a half stars out of five, maybe something like that. No, I, I, gosh, I, I, I'm absolutely right there with you. Um, I would say that I'm like, you know, three and a half out of five random body parts. <laughs> um, because, yeah, um, it, it is, I feel like it's a fun story. I do think that this book does a great job of kind of, um, getting you ready for the solo movie. Um, but it also, I think, gave me a nice taste of these characters after Return of the Jedi, which is I've kind of been missing that. 
And if you want to know uh, more about Han and Lando in that time period, I think this book is definitely worth picking up and, and, and given a read because it was great to see that progression of their characters after that. So Yeah, I think evidenced by our lack of bringing him up, there wasn't enough Chewbacca in this book. Uh, he was in the book, yeah, but he wasn't yeah, a big absolutely. character. They didn't, and I, that's he's a hard one to do in a book because you can't, you know, he's he's speaking, you know, Sherry Wook and not. Yeah, you know, I've always just felt like if you're gonna write Chewie, just write his dialogue because most of the people understand who he is, um, what he's saying. I don't know. I, I feel like, or you could just put it in parentheses, you know, but just put what he's actually saying, and, and we'll get it, you know. Yeah, I think it was, what was it, the, uh, there was a trilogy they did back in the Legends stuff that, that actually did just post the dialogue because they had so much happening on the Wookiee homeworld. It was that other race that kind of was like the Yusin Vong before the Yusin Vong, Black Fleet Crisis. Okay, it just oh, came Oh, yes, in. okay, okay. Yeah, Black Fleet, Fleet Crisis had a whole, you know, bunch of stuff that was happening on the Wookiee homeworld, and I think I remember they were, they just basically just said, yeah, this is what they're saying, they put it in parentheses. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, he's just a he's a hard character to 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 put into a book. So I can see why uh they didn't use him as much, but I the movie Solo, you know, it's very much a, a Han and Lando story, but Chewbacca is a huge part of that as well. So if you didn't get enough Chewbacca in Last Shot, definitely you'll get you'll get plenty of Chewbacca in, in Solo, a Star Wars story. Yeah, I mean, I love Chewie. So I'm right there with you and I'm actually excited to see him being played up so much in solo trailers and stuff so I'm, I'm hoping he has a really big role there it's so. the best you know for me having seen the movie my favorite chewbacca uh movie you know mm, that's great you know he's been chewbacca's been in a lot of star wars movies this was the best that i've seen him in a star wars movie the most awesome. i felt like he was a character and not necessarily a sidekick See, that's what I've been waiting for. So now I'm super excited. Hopefully, Aaron and I have all primed you for seeing Solo this weekend. And if you've already seen this because this is in the future and you're listening, well, Mazel Tov. Uh, I'm really excited I've run it, uh, for the movie. And, uh, of course, I want to really thank our associate producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson, uh, for being the associate producers and, and making sure that the 602 Club and all of the shows we do here on the network keep coming to you. Now, um, this is a big network, and there's absolutely no way that we as the host can make it come to you each and every week all by ourselves. So go over to patreon.com slash trekfm, and you can support the network and make sure all the shows that we have here keep coming to you each and every week. Again, that is patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, Aaron, love having you on the show. Really appreciate you being here, but uh, you've got a lot going on and other places that people should be following you and liking you and checking out your podcast. So where can people find you? Uh, The main places to find me, I'm on Twitter, at AV Goins, mostly talking about nerdy stuff there, so uh, pretty good follow. Uh, I also have a couple podcasts that I do at Star Wars Bookworms. I do with Teresa Delgado, which we do all the books and comics. I do a lot of reviews and just talking uh, about Star Wars in general and having a lot of fun with it. I also have a couple other podcasts that are kind of on pause right now, but both still exist. Uh, Bad Wolf Radio, which is a Doctor Who podcast, which um, we will be ramping that back up pretty soon with the, the approach of the new Doctor and excited for all of the changes that are coming with Doctor Who. 
And then um, I have another podcast that I do with uh, Jonah Marie Macias about Lego Star Wars. And we did reviews of all the Freemaker adventures, but we also talk about Lego sets and things like that. And that's called Star Scavengers. Man, and Lego Star Wars, just so good, especially Freemaker Adventures. So, yeah, do yourself a favor. Check all of those podcasts out. Um, I listen to all of them, so I highly recommend. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram under the same name. I'm here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I'm over on the Nerd Party Network talking about Star Wars with my good friend John Mills on Aggressive Negotiations. It's a great little show. I think you're going to love it, especially if you love Star Wars, which if you're listening to this, you probably do. Um, you can also find me on Outpost with Drag Kaufman talking about each and every chapter of the Harry Potter series. And then last but not least, I talk about films through the lens of faith with my good friend Courtney over on Cinema Stories. But thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you. 